I'd like for you to turn to Matthew, the 28th chapter, please, beginning with the 16th verse of the 28th chapter. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I remind you that these were the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended to the Father. And that verse is a very important verse when he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. He's our Lord. He's in control. He has become victorious over the flesh, over Satan. He can give life, an eternal life, to everyone who inherits and who takes upon himself flesh. This is the command given by Jesus, being in command, being in control, having all authority, having all power, he left these last words, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The King James Version says, Holy Ghost which is the Son. There is the Trinity. There is our God. And it's not a God that's not one, because the letter that John wrote said they three are one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and they by record as one. Number 20, verse 20 says, the disciples had the obligation of teaching, teaching them to observe all things. If they were teaching them to observe all things, then it would include this particular teaching. And this teaching said, you teach them to observe all things I have commanded. Well, one of his commands was, in the 19th verse, was to go to all nations. We cannot forget that. We cannot avoid that. We cannot ignore that. Neither can we ignore baptizing them in the Trinity, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's recognizing our God. 
His promise was that he'd be with us. If those disciples would do that, and if they carried out what they carried out, look at verse 20. They were to go to all nations. We include all nations. Then it is for us to observe what he said here, which is certainly if we're teaching people and baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we certainly are believing in them and believe in each one. And we also will teach people to observe the same thing that we're doing. If not, we're falling short of Jesus' request. If we teach them to observe the things he has commanded, and the commandment right there in those verses are to teach people and to teach them everything that he has commanded, then this obligates us to be a good student of God's Word. That's the reason, no doubt, that Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, handing aright the word of truth. No wonder, he said, all Scripture is inspired of God. It is profitable for correction, for instruction, for correction in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, completely furnished unto every good work. No wonder, he said to Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when men will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they'll turn aside from the truth and shall be turned aside unto fables. We have an obligation to teach people that we have a great God, a God who created all things, a Father who created all things according to Colossians and Ephesians through Jesus Christ. And that includes us, but all creation came from his love and his caring for us. And he did it through his Son. And this great plan was made that we might be a worshiper and a servant of him. Now, remembering the many teachings, even though you can't find the word Trinity in the Bible, you find it, but we have it right there, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we also have a command to recognize it because we baptize people in that name. And to baptize people in the name of means we recognize the authority of those people. And we are revering them and giving them honor. At Jesus' baptism, this must be very important for us to focus on our God. And our God is made up of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus was baptized, the Trinity was mentioned. According to Luke, John 
said, I need to be baptized of you. Why should I baptize you? And he said, to fulfill all righteousness. Suffered to be so. And when he baptized him, he came up. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him as it were a dove. And the Father spoke out and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. There's the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, in his demonstration of his baptism, not only emphasized the Trinity, but before he went to the cross, he told Peter he would build his church upon the fact that he was the Christ. And Peter tried to talk him out of it and said, you, you can't do that. You can't. You're not going to Jerusalem and be killed. And he said, get thee behind me and say, I will. I'll be delivered up. I'll die. I'll give my life. And you must come after me. You must give up everything else. What did it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? If any man will lose his life for my sake, he shall find it. If he shall save his life for my sake, he shall lose it. And then after that, he took Peter, James, and John upon the Mount of Transfiguration, the 17th chapter of Matthew. And when they got up there, there was Peter, James, and John there was a great transfiguration. There was a transfiguration of Moses. There was a transfiguration of Elijah. There was a transfiguration of Christ. And it so impressed Peter that he said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's build a church or a tabernacle or a place of worship for Elijah, for Moses, and for you. The Father spoke, the Father spoke, and said, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. We have manifest here, as we did at his baptism, the Father speaking, the Son speaking, and we have the Spirit of the Lord involved in displaying the great prophets of the past. And yet the message has been recorded by the Spirit, just like it was at his baptism. And Jesus has said, if I don't go away, the Spirit won't come. The Spirit came, and the Spirit gave us a record at his baptism. The Spirit gave us a record at his transfiguration. He's the God is the Father, Christ is the Son, the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. Now on the day of Pentecost, when the first gospel sermon was preached, we have the Spirit filling all the house where they were sitting. We have Jesus in the first chapter being caught up. And according to Luke, he said the same thing in essence, that he said to Matthew. He didn't say, 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit baptized him. He didn't even mention baptism. In Luke, he just said, it's going to happen in Jerusalem. The beginning. He's going to be preaching unto all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And that's exactly what's happening here. But just remember, according to Matthew, he said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And you remember to teach it to all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. Sure enough, that day, day of Pentecost, we have Peter preaching because the Spirit of the Lord came as a rushing of a mighty one and filled all the house where they were sitting. And he spake as the Spirit gave him utterance. And there's a Spirit. And he spoke and he said, God, who it's, it, in times past, has spoken to all these prophets and into the quoted Psalms. And he said, Now he hath shed forth this which you now see in here. And then he said, David didn't speak of himself when he said, My body will not see corruption. He was speaking of Christ. So here he's saying God has promised all of this. He's brought it back. The Spirit is, is alive in Peter. And we see him preaching and saying, he didn't talk about himself. David didn't. He talked of Christ. And when he spake this passage, he was not speaking of his own body. He was speaking of the resurrection of Christ. And he quotes that in Acts 2. That he would sit on his throne. On David's throne. So there is the Father, God. He mentioned him. He said, you've taken the wicked hands, you've crucified and slain the Lord of glory. But God, through the foreknowledge of God, the Father, he hath brought you this one here. There is a Christ, and the Spirit is moving the Apostle Peter speaking. There is the Trinity. There are so many places that we see it. In John, the 17th chapter, the prayer that Jesus prayed just before the cross, he said, Father, he says, I would that you would help me and you as we are one. Be one with these disciples and that all men might know about this mystery. And in the 13th, the 16th, and the 14th chapters, before the 17th chapter, he said, He, the Spirit of truth, will come, and He'll guide you into all truth. He'll show you things to come. He'll bring to your remembrance the things that I've taught you. And sure enough, they did. So there's the Trinity working. There's the Father. There's the Son. He's praying to Him. Then there's the Spirit. He's bringing this to us, for us today, to how? To understand the close-knit work. And that we're to be one as they're one. I would like for you to turn to the first chapter of 1 Peter.
The Apostle Peter is now writing back at the end of his days, and he is he is endeavoring to help people because he knows he won't be with them long. To understand the closeness and the wonderfulness of being in touch with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in this first chapter, we have the Trinity mentioned so many times. I want you just to turn to that first chapter. And when he starts out, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered abroad throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, there's the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, there's the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, there's the Jesus Christ, and there's the Trinity. You don't have to have the word Trinity for the Bible to teach the Trinity. It teaches it in many, many passages. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father. There's the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But look at verse 11. They were searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. The Spirit was working even before Christ came. And when he went back, he said, I'll send you the Spirit. And if I don't send you the Spirit, I, if I don't go, I can't send you the Spirit. The 12th verse says, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which were reported now unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you. How? By one of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Sit down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. They didn't even understand. They were looking and they were searching. But God has made it known to us. Wherefore, gird up, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be given, brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You and I today have grace. We have faith because the Word of God in John 6 and verse 44 says, they shall all be taught of God. They that have heard and learned cometh unto me. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. And Jesus said the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The word of God is a seed, Luke 8 and 11. As obedient children, look at verse 14, not fashioning yourself according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of living. As we look at the 22nd verse of that chapter, ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. The Father has planned all this through Christ. The Father gave his Son from heaven for 33 years and more. 
and allowed him to be the perfect atonement for man's sins. The Father then sent the Spirit to teach us and to train us and to let us be communicators with him through words that we can be trusted or not trusted. It's no mystery that can't be explained. Seeing ye have loved one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know, we plant a seed like a watermelon seed, a cantaloupe seed, a wheat seed. It brings forth after its kind. The word of God is the seed of the kingdom. God has planned that we Fleshly beings made in the likeness of flesh can turn around and be made in the likeness of God because he gave his son in the flesh for 33 years to demonstrate to us how much he loves us and how rich we can be and how much grace there is to share with us because he's the father. And he knew the only way he could touch man would be through what man could interpret in his own flesh. Love and giving and sacrifice. He had to communicate to us on our own terms of suffering and of being human. And he just allowed his son to do that. And his son was willing who in the days of his flesh, having offered up strong cryings and tears unto him who was able to save him from death, though he were son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Being then made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. That's just God's plan. And it's wrapped up in their belief that we have a great God, a God who is a father, a God who has a son that's a brother and is one who come to our rescue and give his life for us. Shed his blood. Never did one thing sinful or evil. But he became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Not anything we can do or say to be good enough to be saved. It's by his blood. They were made one. And he gave his spirit to teach us in words that we can understand and that we can obey, that we can be responsible creatures. You know, 24th verse in that, the 23rd verse says, we're born, again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth her. The very words of Christ given as he ascended, before he ascended, you go tell the people the good news. The good news, according to Mark, was the gospel. And it was that he died, was buried, and was raised. And Luke said that in his Luke 24 chapter. He said, Thus it behoved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 
It began in Jerusalem. And it was promoted by the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, whom we worship and we serve. And when we look at that latter part of that first chapter of Peter when he said for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away the word of the Lord endureth forever the only reason why it's important for us to hear that Matthew the last chapter because he said go preach it to everybody every creature how many people have you told it to did you know, according to our statistics and friend evangelism, that nearly 90% of the people who are members of the Church of our Lord today is because some friend has told them and has touched their hearts. Not that they did all the teaching, but they got a person interested. Jesus is tenderly calling today. And I, I want you to turn to one more passage in closing. And it's Galatians, the fifth chapter. And, and in verses 22 and 23. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this closing statement. 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's one of the Trinity. That's part of our God. That's a very important part is love. His joy, his peace, his long suffering, his gentleness, his goodness, his faith, his meekness, his temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, I want you to look at that passage again. Look at it again, please. The fruit of the Spirit begins with love. There are nine graces, nine characteristics spoken of. And of the nine, Paul puts love at the head of the list. I want you to look at that. This is the fruit of our God, the Spirit. Do you have God in you? Love is the first thing. The first in this precious cluster of fruits. Someone has said that all the other eight can be termed terms of love. Now look at them. The joy is love exulting. Peace is love in repose, in repose. Just because we have a part of it, it just gives something that nothing else can. Long-suffering is love on trial. Gentleness is love in society, being manifested. Goodness is likewise. Love in action. Faith is love on the battlefield. 
Meekness is love at school. Temperance is love in training. It could be given self-control. So it is love all the way. Love at the top. Love at the bottom. And all the way along down these characteristics. If only, if we only just brought love, brought forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, what a world we would be living in. Men would have no desire to do evil, to be corrupt, or to be like Satan. You can be like Christ. You can be like our God. You believe in Him. You repent of your sins. If you'll be baptized, as the Great Commission has already emphasized this morning. Or Galatians 3, 26, 27, we can all put Him on by faith in Christ Jesus. Just many of us have been baptized in Christ, put on Christ, put on Christ. He said to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you have the Trinity. He's waiting for you. If you've been put into him and you've fallen out, if you've wandered away, come back. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That ought to be done daily. Come as we stand together and say.